SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome back to the Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for Group 5 football. Joe Londrigan and Eric Henry here with you as always. Uh, today we have another special guest and he is probably the preeminent preseason preview guy in college football obviously does a lot more than that but it's uh it's the one and only phil Steele hopping on here in a second and eric i know we're excited to see what he has to say about cusa this year absolutely joe i mean in the five years we've been doing this podcast or i guess five seasons i should say we've been doing this podcast together we appreciate all of our guests but definitely can't um you know phil steel has got to be top three four five as far as you know being super excited to talk to just because i mean as college football nerds that we are, you know, we, I don't think Phil will uh, mind if I say this, but we grew up reading his magazine, right? So definitely thrilled to jump into some things and it really, you know, the opportunity to jump into some conference USA football with him. Cause obviously, you know, most people go to him and look for the P five league with the fact that he took, you know, or is taking 25 minutes or, or so out of his schedule to talk a little CUSA ball really means a lot. So appreciate him uh, jumping on with us and definitely looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we only got him for about 15 minutes here, but I know we could probably talk to him all day about, you know, the, you know, everything that he's worked on the last 22 years or so since he's been putting out the magazine and obviously everything uh, prior to that as well. But it looks like he's hopping on the line here. So, uh, Eric, I'll send it over to you if you want to kick things off with the one and only Phil Steele. Thanks, Joe. And Phil, really appreciate you making the time to jump on here again. Can't thank you enough. And just really want to start in terms of Conference USA. And again, your, your preview, I, I can't recommend it enough. It is absolutely essential reading for any college football fan. Notice the three teams at the top of your, your you know, preview that you're high on. And one definitely caught my, my eye by surprise. Um, and that would be UTEP. You know, the, the UABs and UTSAs obviously are expected to be contenders. And now 2022 in which we don't have divisions in conference usa so it's just 11 up 11 down but just wonder if you could provide some some insight in those top three teams and maybe shed a little more background on why utep made your uh, top three yeah well with uab i mean uh it's a little disheartening to, to see bill clark's not going to be the head coach this year because he did a remarkable job at uab building a team that is frankly the best team in the conference and uh you know i think they have the talent coming back this year even losing Coach Clark, that Brian Vincent will be able to step in uh, and take over. They've got eight starters back from an outstanding defense, probably the best linebacking room that they've had at UAB ever. And uh, they've got an experienced quarterback in Dylan Hopkins. They've got a couple of outstanding running backs in McBride and Brown. And they get the big game against UTSA at home. That's why they're my pick for the top spot. UTSA, I can't say enough about the job Jeff Trailer's doing. I mean, uh, you know, look at last year. They were 11-0, and then they lost a meaningless game, uh, you know, which didn't matter. They had the CUSA title game on deck. We see a lot of teams drop it in those situations. But Frank Harris is back at QB. Uh, they've got a outstanding offensive line coming back this year. The defensive line is strong. Special teams are strong. And Trailer for two straight years now, has outperformed my expectations. So I think UTSA is a clear-cut contender. And then the team you have questions about, uh, I like UTEP this year. Uh, Dana Dilmo probably arrived a year early last year. You know, when I talked to him the first year, uh, he basically said they gave him like five years to really get this thing turned around. And he intended on doing it the right way, bringing in a lot of freshmen, biting the bullet, taking some lumps. And then last year, all of a sudden, they opened up the season five and one. 
and had some close losses down the stretch. You look at Florida Atlantic, they lost by three. North Texas, they lost by three. Uh, could easily have won those games. And I thought they gave Fresno State a great game in the bowl game as well, getting a seven and six. Now, this year, a very experienced team. They've got seven starters back on offense. Gavin Hardison has got a cannon for an arm. So that's a good place to start. Ronald Awat and uh, Deion Hankins are back at the running back spot. And I had questions about quarter or wide receiver coming in. They lose Cowing and Garrett. Their tremendous wide receiver duo that they have. But Coach Dimmel told me uh, that he feels they may be more uh, talented at wide receiver than they've been, uh, more physical. So while they, they lose two stars in Cowing and Garrett, I don't think they're going to have as much drop-off as you might think of wide receiver. The offensive line uh, should be one of the better units out there. He was very high on the defensive line, feels they go 13 deep. Defensive line, uh, Coach Dimmel feels that it's the best defensive line in CUSA. The deepest position they have, they go six deep on defensive end. And you guys know the players they've got up front there. Plenty of guys. The linebacking core returns intact. So it's a veteran team off a seven and six season. Uh, schedule sets up well. They get a lot of the big tests at home this year. And I, I think UTEP's got a chance for a, an even better season than they had last year. Again, if you're just joining us, we are joined by Phil Steele, and he's breaking down his Conference USA preview in his 2022 magazine. Phil, want to ask you about two teams specifically, and I think one is a very intriguing situation in FAE with Willie Taggart. We all know his history coming from Oregon, Florida State, and of course before that, USF. And then another intriguing situation is Charlotte with Will Healy, a young, energetic guy who was able to make some things happen in year one. Then obviously they got bit by, a, as, as all programs in, in college football did, got bit by the COVID bug in, in 2020. And then last year, you know, it was a, a bit of a struggle from as well. Just wonder if you could elaborate on those two teams a little bit. Yeah, let me start with Charlotte. Uh, you know, and last year, uh, I talked to 120, 131 head coaches this year. And last year, after my coaches' conversations, uh, almost every single coach, 90% of the coaches across the country told me the same exact thing. Phil, this is the deepest we've ever been. We were able to run three teams in spring practice. We've never had this many players available. And it was because of COVID. Everyone returned. Well, one of those very few inexperienced teams last year was actually Charlotte. Uh, they were among the lower end of the experienced teams uh, on the experience chart, and they struggled. And this year, uh, yeah, but they struggled at the end of the year, probably due to depth. You know, a lot of the other teams are talking how deep they were. Charlotte wasn't as deep as the other teams. They got off to that five and three start or five and four start, and then uh, lost the last three games. So they they nearly made a bowl last year. They've got Will. They've got Chris uh, Reynolds back at QB. Uh, the Iowa transfer Shadrick Bird is back at running back. I thought he did well last year. Uh, they've got some dynamic guys at wide receiver with Victor Tucker, Victor, Victor Tucker, and Grant Debose. Uh, the offensive line's a veteran group, and defensively. Uh, should be improved with six starters back. Now, the schedule's not easy for them. Uh, they could very well be an underdog in maybe seven or eight games this year. But Will Healy's got the program enthused. Uh, they've got an experience, more experienced team this year than they did last year. And I think Charlotte's going to contend for a bowl spot, much like they did last year. And then Florida Atlantic, boy, did Willie Taggart get off to a great start, didn't he? Started out 5-1, and one, probably going against expectations a little bit. Since then, he's been just 5-10. and 10, So you wonder a little bit about where the program's headed. But I like Nikosi Perry at the quarterback position. I mean, he's a guy that signed at Miami of Florida uh, at the running back spot. 
They've got USF transfer Johnny uh, Ford. They've got Marvin Scott, who uh, comes in from Nebraska. Larry McCammon, that's a deep running back core. The offensive line's veteran. And uh, much like he did at his other stops, Taggart's building this team uh, correctly. He's got 14 returning starters coming back this year. Uh, I think when you look at uh, their schedule on the season, they could be an underdog in five, six, potentially as many as seven games. But I think Florida Atlantic does get back to a bowl game. Now, I don't see either team really contending for the top spot in CUSA this year, but I think both have a shot at getting to a bowl. Phil, I want to take it to, you know, and I say this in air quotes, the uh, bottom, I guess I should, I should say, we won't say the bottom of the conference, say teams that are looking to have something to prove. Uh, two new head coaches coming to the league, one being Sonny Cumbie, of course, the former Texas Tech offensive coordinator and quarterback at Louisiana Tech. And the other is regular listeners of this podcast know the team that I cover for uh, SB Nation, FIU. Uh, certainly an interesting situation there with Mike McIntyre coming in. At, those of us who are around the program last year know that was a uh, probably one of the more bizarre, eccentric years of you know, <laughs> my uh, college football reporting career. So I just want to uh, get your thoughts on, on those two programs before I pass over to Joe for a, a couple questions. Yeah, and let's start with Louisiana Tech, you know, with Sonny Cumbie uh, stepping in. Now, I got to say last year, if you follow Louisiana Tech, I, I personally, I wondered why they let Coach Holtz go at the time they did. I mean, you look at how Louisiana Tech played last year, uh, that Mississippi State game, uh, that they had uh, was a game that they led by 20 points in the fourth quarter, and it just came up a point short at the end. The SMU game, they give up a Hail Mary touchdown pass on the final play. They were very close to being 3-0, beating Mississippi State, beating a strong SMU team, and then would have been 4-0 with their win over North Texas. Yeah, they had some losses, like a seven-point loss to NC State, uh, but I was, I was a little surprised to let them go. But when I was talking to Coach Cumbie, he was pretty pleased with the talent he inherited, as you would expect. They were much better than a 3-9 three, three and nine team last season. They've got 14 returning starters coming back. A guy like Smoke Harris could be a star in the offense at the wide receiver spot. And I think he comes in with some new enthusiasm, some new ideas. And I think Louisiana Tech, uh, well, I do have them lower in the standings this year. You figure with first-year head coaches, it's generally a rebuilding year. They've got to come in, learn the players' strengths and weaknesses. Players have to learn new systems. Generally, and they also don't have their first full recruiting class really until next year. That's when the coaches usually hit their stride as the second, third year. But I think uh, Louisiana Tech will be competitive. And with FIU, I got to be honest with you, I had very, very, extremely low expectations for FIU. I mean, let's face it, they were one of the worst teams in college football last year, as you mentioned, due to a lot of different things that happened on and off the field. And then only having 10 returning starters coming back. But going over the team with Coach McIntyre, and, and I've, I've talked to Coach McIntyre at all his stops, and I can tell you he's done a remarkable job at all his stops. Uh, I all of a sudden started to believe that he could get this thing turned around. And my first question to him was, why would you take the FIU job after what happened to uh, Coach Davis? And he feels that this can be turned around, that he can recruit heavily. He brought a lot of Miami players back to Miami in the transfer portal, which I love. You know, he's got a couple of key transfers some P5 transfers on the defensive side of the ball, even some FCS transfers, which could have a big-time success. And, you know, Gunnar Holmberg is a quarterback, very underrated. I think that Holmberg can step in and get things turned around. Now, is this going to change overnight? No, I don't think FIU can get up there and get to a bowl game this year. Uh, but keep in mind, in Coach McIntyre's first season uh, at uh, San Jose State, they struggled. Uh, I think they went like 1-11 in his first season at Colorado. It took him four years to get to 10-4. and four. 
at San Jose State, it took them three years to get to 11-2. and two. And I think Coach McIntyre was a tremendous hire. I think he's going to come in. Uh, he, he's enthusiastic. He's going to recruit Miami well and get, get FIU turned around. I just can't see him making a bowl game this year. Sure. Joe, I know you had a couple questions, and it's certainly a, an interesting an intrigue of mine as well. A couple questions, Phil, about how he puts the mag together. So definitely want to uh, pass the line of question over to you, sir. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Phil, once again, thanks for your time. But um, for those that don't know, uh, you're quite busy during the season as well. You don't just like go into a cryogenic chamber during the during the season and then pop out in, in March ready to put the mag together. So, uh, you know, just curious, like what is like a typical season look like for you as you know, for, for the public that just knows you as like the preseason preview guy. Yeah. And well, I tell you, I work a lot more hours during football season than I do, especially like right now I work 102 hours a week. I've got 12 TVs set up in front of me. So I'm watching 12 games all day long on Saturday when I'm not watching games, I'm uh, getting all the articles, reading about what uh, the writers say about the games. Then I watch, rewatch some of the games while uh, it, during the week uh, I put out a newsletter called Inside the Press Box, uh, do some radio shows, uh, update the website, which is Phil Steele Plus, and uh, keep everything just 100% up to date. I like to know everything that's going on with all 131 teams every week of the football season, and that really helps me write the magazine during the you know the months of – we start writing the magazine the uh, Sunday after Thanksgiving all the way through June 8th. Uh, so it, it generally takes about seven months to write this thing. But uh, believe me, during football season, I'm trying to absorb as much college football as I possibly can. In the last couple of years, obviously, there's been uh, some significant changes to the eligibility rules with the COVID year, as well as uh, immediate eligibility for transfers. Uh, how have those rule changes kind of impacted how you go about you know, researching everything for these magazines? Yeah, it's definitely made it a lot different. And I think when we're going through the magazine process, uh, it has changed that, uh, the transfer portal has. Now, the good news is this year, Joe, is that the transfer portal actually closed on May 1st. So if you were going to transfer out and be able to be eligible to play this year, you had to transfer out by May 1st. Beautiful. My magazine goes to the press the first week of June. So we were able to find out all the players leaving, hitting the portal, and also able to find a good almost all the players that were transferring. I mean, players like Jordan Addison leaving Pitt and landing at USC were able to capture that uh, in the magazine. Now, I write the – and I'll, I'll bear this out in, uh, and show you how the magazine's written and how the transfer portal affects it. Uh, by the fact of let's look at USD. Uh, the first write-through process I do for the magazine, I read through every single article is written about every single team during the offseason, but I'll just focus on one team. So I read every article is written about them during the year. Then with everything completely in mind, all the ebbs and flows at every position, I write each position. I say, okay, what kind of shape were they heading into last year? What happened? And what kind of shape are they heading into this year? After that postseason write-through, which is the first write-through, I had USC middle of the pack in the Pac-12 South. Now, the second write-through process, we add in the freshmen that have signed. We add in any transfer portals in or out, readjust the positions on anything that's happened between the end of the season and the spring. And then the third write-through is after I talk to the coaches. And this year, I talked to 120 to 131 head coaches. While I'm on the phone with Coach Lincoln Riley, ironically, the day he signed uh, Jordan Addison from Pitt, now, all of a sudden, USC, which I had middle of the pack in the Pac-12 South at the beginning, has got a quarterback in uh, Williams that comes over from Oklahoma. He's my number one rated quarterback out of high school. He's a Heisman candidate at the uh, QB position at Oklahoma. Now he's a Heisman candidate at USC. 
Uh, you take a look at the receiver, Mario Williams. He is a guy who was my number two rated receiver at high school. He comes over from uh, Oklahoma. Jordan Addison is added in from Pitt. Thousand-yard rusher from Oregon, Travis Dye. When I talked to Coach Riley, I had a big concern about the offensive line. He told me he really likes the top-end experience he has and didn't expect to inherit this much talent. Defensively, he brought in 13 different transfers. A guy like Shane Lee, who started 13 games at Alabama, as a freshman and was my number uh, six rated linebacker out of high school, he's his middle linebacker. All of a sudden, USC has gone from a middle of the road Pac 12 South team to my number one most improved team and a contender at Pac 12 South. So that tells you how the, the seed magazines changed. Uh, five years ago, without the transfer portal, you couldn't have that kind of turnaround for a team. Definitely not. I think that was the extent of the questions that I had. I know you're uh, getting ready to do some more uh, radio hits today, but Eric, do you have one more question for us? Yeah, Phil, I know we're up against the clock. Can I sneak one last question in here for you? Yeah. What, what, did you have a question? I, I missed it. No, yeah. I was going to sneak this last question here because I know we're up against Oh, the sure. Clock. We got time. We got time. Okay. Next one's not. Okay. No, yeah, no worries. Um, just had to get your thoughts on this as someone who's covered college football for as long as you have. And in specificity, our site, you know, we cover primarily group of five football. Joe and I have spoken to now, I believe, with Clay Helton. That was the ninth head coach we've spoken to this offseason. I'd be remiss, Phil, if I didn't get your thoughts on the transfer portal and specificity, the amount of G5 to P5 transfers. Um, just overall, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I we kind of mentioned we've had a chance to have some head coaches on, and a lot of them have, have talked about in specificity the G5 transfers across the offensive and defensive line, saying that there's just always going to be a premium on, you know, talent at those positions. But just curious your thoughts, you know, guys who seemingly don't necessarily end up at the, the premier blue bud power five programs initially, but you look each year, especially conference USA, and you see a dozen or more guys end up to power five players at, at you know, coming from a, a group of five league. Yeah. And you guys know uh, from talking to the coaches that uh, it is a major concern for all G5 coaches. That is a, a theme. Uh, coaches will say, uh, you know, I, we go through, I spend about an hour going over the, to the team, hour plus with some, uh, and we break down every player, go across the board, every position. And uh, a coach's comments many times from the group of five is, um, I really like this kid. Uh, he, he's going to be all conference this year. He's this, he's that, he's this. Boy, I sure hope I can keep him next year. <laughs> and that's that's a, a common refrain. They are definitely worried that they're going to develop these players. And then all of a sudden, as you mentioned, you know, when you're talking to the Power Five coaches, they're always looking for offensive linemen. Can I get an O-line? Can I get one to come here? And I think it's a genuine concern uh, for the group of five. Will be futures. You know, uh, how many of these star players developed by the group of five end up leaving before they leave for the NFL? And uh, I, I think it will impact college football a little bit. It's uh, it's probably the biggest disappointment of the uh, transfer portal. Awesome, Phil. Cannot thank you enough. As always, you can find him on Twitter at PhilSteel042. And, of course, you can find him at PhilSteel.com. And wherever the magazine is available, if you follow Phil on Twitter like we do, you know, it's been a challenge to get that magazine in stores, and it's selling out pretty quickly once they got it. But if you can find that magazine in a physical copy, go out there and get it. And, of course, you can get the digital copy as well at philsteel.com. Phil, can't thank you enough for making 20 minutes here and talking to us. Appreciate it.
Hey, a lot of fun talking football with you guys. And, you know, right now it's only available at Barnes & Noble, but it will be available at other spots in a couple of weeks. Save your gas money. Just go to Barnes & Noble right now and other spots maybe towards the start of August. But uh, a lot of fun talking CUSA football with you guys. A lot of these shows I do only talk about the Power 5 teams, so it's always great to get to here to uh, CUSA. That's where we're at. Appreciate you making the top, Phil. Take care, buddy. All right, have a good one. As we said, can't thank Phil Steele enough for his time uh, up there around uh, where I grew up. Um, looked like he was close to the University of Steubenville. So I, I grew up like 20 minutes from there. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. So one of the things that Phil said that was intriguing to me was how high he is on UTEP. And Eric, I know we're, this is going to come out a couple of days before Conference USA Media Days, I think. And I know we're excited to see uh, or rather hear from Coach Dimmel in terms of what he's working on for this year and everything that he's put into getting his team to this point. Um, but clearly folks are starting to take notice. And with the way that roster is shaping up, you got to wonder if UTEP are in fact going to be able to live up to uh, some of the higher expectations folks have got for them, even after you know the, their first winning season in a decade. That's why I, I mentioned it, Joe. It definitely caught me by surprise that he had UTEP third. Not necessarily that I am down on the minors. Obviously, they had a successful 2021, as Phil said, maybe a year ahead of schedule. But when you take a look at some of the losses, of course, especially at the receiver position, when you lose you know, guys like Jacob Kong and Justin Garrett, it, it is a little interesting. However, you do have to take into account, he touched on it, Ronald Awat back at the running back position. If they can get Ronald Awat and Deion Hankins, of course, you know, Deion Hankins is the high profile three star recruit, hometown kid from El Paso, had a great 2020 in a what, you know, seven, eight game season that they had and then was banged up last year. If that can be the one two punch for them, Joe, I think that's enough to really guide that offense and bring Gavin Hardison along. But he talked about Gavin Hardison, you know, having a cannon for an arm. That's not, uh, you know, it's not a secret. Um, you, we've had Coach Dill on the podcast. He's talked about Gavin. I know we've had Steve Kalpowitz from ESPN El Paso, um, as well as Adrian Broaddus from ESPN El Paso. Both of them have talked about Gavin's arm. But does that manifest itself into some sort of consistency? The knock on Gavin, again, has been it, you look at the TD to INT ratio. He had 18 touchdowns, 13 picks. I believe in his career he's got something like 32 touchdowns or excuse me, 24 touchdowns to 18 interceptions. Just looking at the numbers right here, so that's got to get cut uh, down a little bit and keep we'll keep the football in, in, in the right hands. And also the completion percentage has to go up. So while there's no doubt Gavin is talented, you know we've talked about it a lot. Can he take that next step as a quarterback? If he does, then absolutely. I don't think three is is a bad spot at all for UTEP. But it's just going to be interesting trying to replace those guys. But with that being said, on the defensive side of the ball, you know, you got praise. I'm, I'm a hule. And, and I, again, I hope I'm pronouncing that last name correctly because I know Adrian came on and said that, that there was another pronunciation of it. But you got a guy like him, a guy like Breon Hayward as well. You're in good position. It's just all really going to come down in my mind to whether Gavin Harrison can develop that consistency. And then he also mentioned that Coach Dimmel's really high on that receiver room. And I, that I'm interested to know as well. I mean, a guy like Tyron Smith coming back, you know, 33 grabs for 570 yards and four scores. Very sneaky, uh, sneakily, Joe, very quietly last year. They had a deep receiving room with Cowing, Garrett, and then Tyron Smith. So we'll see what happens. But, um, yeah, I, I was interested to see the fact that he, you know, because I, I think, I, I don't know about you, I'm not asking you to necessarily make a prediction right now, but 
most people wouldn't go UTEP third. I think a lot of people would probably go maybe an FAU or, you know, just some of the other teams that, that Western Kentucky, right? Teams that have been on the cusp that, you know, you feel maybe a little bit more solid with what they have coming back. So definitely interesting to see that he had UTEP third. Um, so it will be interesting to get, uh, you know, kind of keep an eye on that as, a, as the season comes along. Yeah, when you look at the former, what's formerly known as the West Division in CUSA, you got UAB and UTSA, obviously. Uh, other than those guys, I don't think really, I, I think the rest of the top five is, is rounded out by teams that are in the East, honestly. But I will say that you're right, UTEP's defensive line and their front seven in particular is fascinating with Praise Amahule. I definitely think they're going to be able to um, just give a lot of their opponents problems on the edge there. Um, on the other side of the ball, I think it's going to be, I, I think they're going to face a lot of the problem, the same problems that they're going to cause, if that makes sense. If you look at their offensive line, uh, I'd right guard Elijah Klein was strong on the interior, good run blocker. So he's going to help Ronald Awat do what he does. And then you have Jeremiah Byers, um, who was a pretty decent at right tackle. But then I, I have questions about that left side of the line. So when they come up against some of these other um, teams with a solid edge attack on their schedule, then I, I think that's going to create some problems. And hopefully they can combat that um, with all the offensive tools that you mentioned. But yeah, UTEP is... A good team. I think they're on the rise. I don't know about third in the league, but we'll certainly see. But it's obvious, but it's not the same, or rather, it's not the first time that Phil has, even in this magazine, like made a G5 prediction that kind of surprised me. Cause like you look at what he was talking about with the Sunbelt East, and he's got, I think, Marshall finishing second. Um, yeah, he's got, yeah, he's got Marshall beating. Coastal Carolina in terms of the Sunbelt East standing. So he's not, uh, you know, he's no stranger to predictions that might shock some G5 fans. No doubt about that. And listen, you know, this is not the Sunbelt podcast, but I'm pretty high on Marshall right. uh, with Yusef, Yusef Ali. Let's try this again. Wrong Ali. Uh, Muhammad Ali. No, wait, wrong Ali. Uh, Rasheen Ali uh, coming back. So I, I think there's certainly some talent there with, you know, the running game and the defense. But again, uh, I, I'm not necessarily bullish on that pick, but he, as you mentioned, Definitely some surprises there that he has in terms of uh, the G5 leagues. When you look at his preseason All-America team, one thing that I don't want to say is surprising, but was interesting to me was the only two representatives from the group of five that he has on that list are both return specialists in uh, South Florida's Brian Battle and Middle Tennessee State's Jalen Lane. And when you talk about Jalen Lane, He's certainly talented. I, he's if MTSU is going to have this year where, you know, they really show that like they are where they want to be in terms of a program. Jalen Lane's going to be a big part of that, both in the special teams game and in the you know in the passing game. But I'm excited to see what he does, and he definitely fits that like you know the stereotypical like physical mold that you would expect like a, a really solid kick return specialist to fit right he's 5'8 182 pounds really solid acceleration was uh second in the nation in punt return average last season with 15 and a half yards uh was 26th out of uh, all of fbs and combined kick return yards with 580 in terms of like the freshman from last year he was he might have been 
probably the best freshman return specialist in the nation last year. But so obviously Phil sees something special in him and I'm excited to see what he does for that Blue Raider football program. You know, when I saw that note that you mentioned, here's the thing about Jalen Lane. I don't want to take anything away from him because as you mentioned, he had a really nice redshirt freshman year, five, eight buck 75, definitely that quintessential slot receiver, kick returner, a very dynamic playmaker. And especially with, some of the guys departing in that offense, you know, Jimmy Marshall, uh, I know Yusef Ali, they got the right Ali, there we go, uh, is back this year. But, you know, guys like Jimmy Marshall departing, Jalen Lane's probably going to have a more pronounced role in that receiving game, right? I was just curious. He was an excellent kick returner. And if he's going to be, you know, potentially an All-American, that's in my mind, that's obviously going to be the role where it would be. But as you know, Joe, Returns are kind of subjective upon a few things, right? I.e., if you're getting a ton of kick returns, more than likely your team is giving up a fair amount of points. And, of course, we know with college football, getting returns in general can be difficult because of the fact that, you know, where the kickoff takes place, you're getting a lot of touchbacks. Even Jalen Lane last year only had 13 in, you know what, 13 games. only had 13 kick returns. If you get a lot of punt returns, that means your defense is forcing a lot of punts. Jalen Lane had 19 returns. 295 yards and one touchdown, a very nice average. I don't necessarily know that Middle Tennessee's defense, well, very, uh, I won't say very, but quietly solid last year. I don't know that they're going to be forcing enough punt returns for him to make enough plays. And I also think that teams may make a dedicated effort to kick away from him. Now, and this is not an all-American position, but if there were an all-purpose role, I would absolutely think he may be in in the running in that regard. And here's why I say this. As I mentioned, Jimmy Marshall is gone. Um, I believe, yeah, so the returning, the the Jimmy Marshall and Jaron Pierce are gone. So it's going to be C.J. Windham, D.J. England, Chisholm, and himself are going to be the, the three leading guys. Obviously, there's a role for him in that offense as a slot guy. That's going to depend on, A, who wins that quarterback competition between Chase Cunningham and Nick Variado, and B, how they develop. Either way, I still can project behind Smoke Harris. Jalen Lane, you know, you can probably put him in there as the top two or three or four slot guys in the league. I don't think that's up for debate. So between that, his ability to take a few carries here or there in the backfield, kind of that Brad Anderson role that was, you know, and featured very prominently in Middle Tennessee's offense over the past few years. Even last year, he had 11 carries for 93 yards. Brad Anderson, uh, kind of that you know jack-of-all-trades guy, had 24 carries out of the backfield. So I definitely think that could be an option for him. So we'll see. You know, Phil maybe again, this isn't me saying I'm not high on Jalen Lane. I just don't know where the counting numbers are going to come from if they're going to be potent enough for him to make an All-American team. But, you know, Phil's high on him, so we'll definitely have to keep an eye on that and see how that goes. One other question I had for you based on what Phil said when we spoke to him uh, a little while ago. What do you think of what he said about Charlotte? He mentioned, you know, the inexperience last year. Uh, do you, I don't know. He seems pretty high on Charlotte in terms of being able to learn from their mistakes and bounce back. Agree or disagree? I agree that that was an inexperienced team. And when you look at some of the losses they had entering last year, that's definitely a fair point. What I struggle with, and I don't think, you know, hey, as you mentioned, Conference USA Media Days are around the corner. We'll be there. We certainly will ask Will Healy this question. That defense was just bad last year. And I don't know 
if that was a byproduct of the double, you know, co-defensive coordinator system with Marcus West, um, you know, Marcus Cooper, or because Joe, we look at the talent on defense. I, I kind of, you know, me and Hunter Bailey have this conversation all the time and, me and a handful of uh, Charlotte fans, shout out to 1010, definitely being one. We talk about the, the Charlotte defense all the time. I look at the names and I'm like, all right, Tyler Murray, he's playing at Memphis. You know, Luke Martin was a solid player. Marquise Watts, probably one of the more lightning rod names in Conference USA. Because when you look at his numbers, you think, all right, that is an excellent defensive player. Seemingly, some people seem to think that he's a byproduct of, especially when you look at his most prominent year, in 2019, a byproduct of what Alex Highsmith was able to do on the other side, right? I'm really high on Marquise Watts. He's going to make my top 35 players in Conference USA list. But if something's going to change for Charlotte, it's going to have to be on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, it, it's kind of, and I'll put it back to you in the form of a question, Joe. On offense, I feel great about the returning talent. Big Vic Tucker fan. Everyone who listens to this podcast knows that I am. Grant DeBose has all the physical tools, and what a great story. Someone who, you know, was working a regular nine-to-five, regular uh, everyday job before, you know, he got the uh, the invite from his friend James Foster, backup quarterback there at Charlotte, to try, on and, uh, try out and walk on at Charlotte, and he ends up being one of the greatest success stories of the league last year. And I'm really high on their running backs. Like, offensively, I think they're going to be fine. But – is all returning talent good talent? You know, it's kind of like when, shout out to ESPN's Bill Connolly, he puts out that series of you know, most returning production each year and runs down the list one through 131 in terms of FBS teams. I don't know where things fall with this team this year. You know, I, I, is all returning talent good talent when it comes to the defensive side of the ball? I think guys like Kofi Wardlow and, and others are, are going to have to step up um i'm forgetting, I'm forgetting the, the kid from central michigan uh the linebacker I, I i know his name and i just can't think of it right now um but he's going to be a, a big presence on the on in terms of the pass rush he's gonna have to step up if see that's in, in, in my mind again just to pass it back to you joe there's just so many what ifs with that defense if they can get the best outcome for all of those guys amir sadiq there we go if they can get the best outcome for all of those guys then sure um but it's just like you just don't know. And that and that defense has really been while they weren't bad in 2019, they they weren't great either. You know, you can go back and look at the numbers, Joe. Remember that 2019 team that they kind of had to have a stretch, a, a run down the, the stretch of the year to qualify for a bowl game? It's because they were giving up a lot of points early on in the year. And then in 2020, similar issue. So I don't know. I mean, I just is I keep saying I'm going to pass it back to you, but more points can come into my head. It feels like, Joe, if we critiqued North Texas's defense as much as we did, right, for allowing so many points, we can't let Charlotte off the hook when they've – and I'm not even looking at the numbers right here, but I know they've allowed at least 30 points per game over the past three years. Right. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree Charlotte's defense was bad, and I wrote it in uh, some of the defensive previews. Um, or I did the defensive line preview. Steve Helwick did the linebackers preview for CUSA. Both those groups need to improve a lot in order for uh, Charlotte to, you know, get back to a bowl game and, um, you know, improve on the the bad records they put up the last couple of years. Um, I agree that the offense, I, I'm not super worried about the offense. Uh, Grant DeBose, I think is, is a, I think when it's all said and done, he'll be a first team all conference guy. Um, if, if he stays healthy. Running backs are solid, like he said. Yeah, I mean, with with Charlotte, like, there's not much else to say 
in my opinion, other than like this is this is put up or shut up time, right? Like they they have a lot of really solid pieces on the offense. Frankly, the athletic ability on that defense is there. It just didn't execute last season. And Marquise Watts, all those guys really need to be able to like step up and, and live up to the hype if they want to make uh, if they want to make some noise this year. So for sure. Speaking of coverage, like th- I, I tweeted this like late last night uh, when I was looking at stuff for the the Max Media Days, and I get that we can't spread Media Days out too much because fall camp is like two weeks away. But you know, for those that don't know, Media Days for Conference USA, the Sun Belt, and the MAC are all on July 26th or 27th this year. So it, it like it's all within a 48 hour period. Like for for some outlets that have unlimited money, sure that's great, but like that's it's a little frustrating for for sites like us when we can't really I don't know, do everybody justice at the same time, so we're going to do our best, but I don't know. I th- this is just kind of me starting to wrap up the show, but it's fascinating that it really doesn't seem like they there was like I don't know. I mean, in terms of like we we complain a lot about G five like not really getting like the respect it deserves, but it's hard when you put that on these outlets that are trying to do their best to cover you, where they they obviously can't ble- can't be in you know three places at once. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, and being on this side of the coin, I'm inclined to agree. I mean, I've had the benefit of working you know, for an online outlet such as SB Nation or Dog Dynasty, we've had the benefit of working a newspaper and the benefit of working in broadcast. Um, I would counter and say this. You can make the argument, Joe, that especially in today's media climate, how many local beat writers are going to get sent to Media Days A, right? And the primary audience that you're going to get are going to be local beat writers, right? And then if not, then those local outlets will, most cases, they'll outsource a freelancer and you know they'll get the information. To your point, I can only take the position that the conferences are like, look, if we're only marketing to the local beat writers and maybe a handful of, of, you know, let's do the math on this. How many national group of five writers can you think off the top of your head? Writers or outlets? Writers. You, me, Vanini, uh, the group of five guys for sure. Uh, G5 focus. So, so not to cut you up, but that's kind of my point, right? I mean, sure. you, you're, you, if you know you've only got X amount of national G5 writers, it's I, I put you this way. The alternative is you have them either write when teams are starting to dial up camp. And in this case, FAU actually opens camp from – what I'm told, I don't have the, the date directly in front of me, but I was told that uh, FAU actually opens camp the day of CUSA Media Days. So you're either going to have it during camp, right? Or you're going to need to bring back the coaches and players from that like four to five week period that they're away from campus, uh, that little gap they get between summer workouts and the start of fall. Or you can't really do it prior to then, right? So I, I'm like I said, I'm not poo-pooing what you're saying. I just think it's a tough situation when you look at who those leagues are going to be marketing to, which again are primarily going to be 
a handful of local guys that, that are, are going to have the funding, lo- local um, writers, I should say. I don't want to you know gender that, but uh, writers that are going to have the funding, maybe one or two national writers, um, and that's it. So I just think it's kind of a situation you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Does that make sense? I, is it unreasonable to want every conference to adhere to my schedule all the time? Yes. Oh. <laughs> Well, then, <laughs> well, then I see the base of my argument has been foiled. It's, it's one of the few times I get the upper hand on you, you know, few times. Oh, don't. <laughs> it's weird. I feel like it's the opposite. I feel like anytime we disagree, which isn't often, it, it's usually this scenario where you're like, hold up there. <laughs> like, Well, Joe, that's usually because I pulled a politician move and I just institute the talking filibuster and i make six minutes to make a point and then there's nothing left for you to retort with (laughs) or we just schedule recording sessions at the butt crack of dawn my time and i'm just too tired to argue (laughs) correct yes it's all part of my master plan i see the jedi mind tricks are strong in this one all right thank you all so much for listening hope you enjoyed our conversation with phil Steele and uh, our other discussions about cusa football uh so Next episode, the next couple episodes actually are going to be uh, stuff that we record at Conference USA Media Days in beautiful Arlington, Texas. So we're excited to do that. Uh, go ahead and follow us on Twitter for more updates there at Underdog Dynasty. I'm at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore. Eric is at Eric C. Henry underscore. And of course, underdogdynasty.com uh, for other G5 football content. Wrapping up the CUSA position previews with defensive backs. Uh, should hopefully be up by the time this podcast is up, but maybe not. We'll see. Um, and uh, of course, more Sunbelt coverage and uh, other FCS stuff and AAC, of course. Uh, happy football watching, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.